Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Okay, here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So if you're like most men who work a nine to five job at an office, you're probably spending a lot of that time sitting down at a desk. And then when you get home, you might be a little active, but then you're probably sitting down at your desk at your home office to uh, surf the web or you're sitting on the couch watching TV. Well, all that sitting is not good for your body. And some doctors actually say that it's doing just as much damage to your body as smoking does. Uh, well, my guest today has uh, put out a book that highlights all this research about the, the dangers of sitting too much and what you can do to counteract that. His name is Kelly Starrett. He is the uh, founder of MobilityWatt.com. He's the, kind of the, been the big guy behind the whole mobility movement in the fitness world. Anyways, his new book is called Deskbound, Standing Up to a Sitting World. And today on the show, Kelly and I discuss the dangers of sitting and what you can do to undo the damage of constant chronic sitting. A lot of great actionable steps you can use right away. When you're done listening to the show, make sure to check out the show notes at aom.is slash standup. And standup is all one word. Kelly Starrett, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, man. I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I mean, I, I can't wait to tell you about my knife fetish. I mean, the whole thing. <laughs> well, I'm stoked to have you because I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, Supple Leopard. It's helped me out a lot. Uh, but before we get to your, you got a new book out, Desk Bound, Standing Up to a Sitting World, which I love because we've written a lot about the perils of sitting and what it can do to your body and how to undo the damage of sitting. Um, but before we get to the book, let's talk about your career for those who aren't familiar with you. Uh, how did you become this mobile, you know, this mobility guru that people, athletes go to? We're talking NFL, you know, Major League Baseball players. How did this happen? Uh, you know, I I am very uncomfortable with the word guru. But, <laughs> I know, but yeah, and it's the but word. I, but I will say level ten dance master. Level that, ten dan- dance master. All right. Um, well, you know, I had a serious career as um in you know uh, synchronized swimming. People don't really know. Uh, I was an athlete. I was a broken athlete. I discovered, you know, I, I've always been obsessed with pattern recognition. And um, I think that if, you know, if you had just, if I was an X-Men, pattern recognition would be my skill. Like I can, you know, see large data sets or see patterns and just pick them up, right? I get the big gestalt piece fast. And that really worked for me when I was, you know, became a, was an athlete. It worked for me when I was a, you know, a young physio. And when I was first semester of physio school, I discovered CrossFit which was really uh, a profound experience in terms of a crash course. I mean, I was on the national team. I was a national champion. I you know, had paddled world championships. And literally, I couldn't do a handstand. 
well. You know, I, I, you know, my front squatting was dubious at best. And um, what CrossFit really did was force me to confront the fact that I wasn't as physically literate as I thought I was. You know, and I'm not just talking about metabolically literate. Like, you know, can I out suffer everyone? Because the world has changed in the last ten years. People are much are working harder than we did ten years ago, unequivocally. But I just wasn't as fluent in things that look like gymnastics or Olympic lifting. And, and, and intrinsically, I knew some, some, I knew that I needed to seek these things out. I mean, I remember having a serious, like a serious conversation with my mom where I was like, mom, she was a single parent. I'm a single child. And I was like, mom, how come I wasn't in ballet? Like, did you not love me? And she was like, I tried, but we were so poor and I couldn't get you in ballet where we were. And I remember being like, she was kind of like, I was, I was trying to be a good mom. And I was like, mom, I'm just kind of kidding. Kind of, but you really like, you, you screwed me. I wasn't in ballet gymnastics. Like I was supposed to pick this stuff up, you know, automatically. And, and sort of that's, that's how we got here. Because if you were lucky enough to be in a movement tradition, martial arts, gymnastics, um, you know, dance, maybe you had some formalized training on what your spine is supposed to do and how you, how you maintain your spinal position and jump and land. And I didn't get any of that. And what we have been saying to kids and adults and humans is that as long as the your life is sufficiently diversified, you'll be able to cultivate these skills, right? And that's what we tell kids, like and parents, have your kids play lots of sports. And we're like, well, we're not sure why that works, but just lots of sports is better. And, and if you're lucky enough to have some serious movement training in one of those sports, maybe it helps. But most of us just played sports and worked harder. And then all of a sudden something goes wrong with us or we realize that we're not as fit as we were, or we, we do the Spartan race and fall on our faces, or you know we can't deadlift or hip hinge, or you know we we tear an Achilles playing basketball, and it's because our movement practice, the things that we were doing to get ready for playing sports, wasn't sufficient. What we did was we were substituting playing sports for a movement practice, and and if you were lucky enough to like stumbled into yoga or Pilates, man, you, you were nailing it early. But I didn't. I was like yoga and Pilates. Who's got time for yoga and Pilates? I'm gonna go ride my bike and go crush this river and maybe lift some weights, you know, on the Cybex machine, you know. And you know, so we got here. We opened a gym, you know, 13 years ago. You know, was when we started our gym, and and pretty soon we start to see the same patterns over and over again. Like, why is that foot turning out when you're squatting? You know, why can't you get into a pistol position? Hey, I noticed that you're slouching all day at work, probably because you're at work, and now you can't put your arms over your head effectively. And and that we were able to sort of derive cause and effect, and then go from effect back to cause because we could see it in people's movement practices. And and because the the model that we were using, CrossFit, was really predicated on making sure that people could do a handstand and push up and pull up. They had the fundamentals of these human positions, these archetypal shapes that we that I talk about. And it was became very clear that we, you know, our movement practices weren't getting us there unless you were, you know, again, in some kind of formal movement training. You know, if you're if you grew up in China, part of the national China development program for Olympic lifting, you move pretty well. The rest of us sort of cobble it together. And and what ends up happening then is that it puts us into a really interesting dynamic later on because when we're young we can buffer a lot of mechanical silliness and but then all of a sudden you know things start to break down or we start to become impinged or we have these these flare-ups that really pull us out of our roles as physical beings and we're left sort of wandering and then you go into the sports medicine hole and it's a sports medicine rabbit hole this for-profit sports medicine thing is 
it basically is predicated on the idea. And look, there are really talented physicians out there and, and physios and chiros, but the whole thing is predicated on the idea that everyone is going to break. Let's just wait around until they break. And that's nonsense. And, you know, because some people don't break and some people, you know, you know, what we saw was that the same language we were using to improve the performance of our elite athletes and moms and dads. And we get to go behind the scenes of every professional sport, every military unit. I mean, we, we see everyone's dirty laundry. Those techniques to improve performance were the same techniques we were using to ameliorate mechanical dysfunction and pain. And that's where we we're able to really derive cons- some consilience, some, you know, c- to, to really understand some of the processes and positions underneath this. So, you know, if your knee hurts after a run, you know, that's not, you're not injured. That's called an incident. And you should have a plan to be able to deal with that. And part of, I think, what the revolution of where we are right now as humans is that we are handing more responsibility back to the person, back to the athlete. And, and this is completely in line with the art of manliness, let's be totally honest, because what we're saying is, you know, that, that quote by Robert Heinlein, you know, a man should be able to, like, change a diaper, plan an aria, you know, set a bone, you know? Right. You know, and, like, that's what we need. We need to become generalists again, and we have become hyper specialist. What do I do? I work on the social interface analog for this internet startup. I mean, you are an expert in your job, but it turns out like you don't know how to cook a steak or deal with your knee pain. And that's what we're trying to do is let's just, let's just take all this low hanging fruit off the table. Right. So you guys are basically helping people reconnect themselves with their body or even like just making the introduction in the first place. Cause I, the one thing I've noticed when I started working on mobility and movement, really focusing like how disconnected my brain is from my body when you have to go through these sequences of like okay activate your glutes or like rotate your knees or like put your shoulders and like like my brain is like i don't know how to do that like it has like this brain fart because i don't yeah like i didn't i never practiced that so i had to like really work hard to develop that skill well and what it's okay to make this about skill and that's that's the thing that i think there's two things in there that really make people uncomfortable it makes the 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 medical professionals the for-profit you know, rehab sports medicine specialists uncomfortable because I'm saying, hey, look, none of this is skilled. Let's let's get it out of pretend, behind this paywall and put it into the hands of people. You know why? Because they're sophisticated enough to figure out what's going to work and not going to work. And 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 the the injury risk is very very low. And the gr- injury risk is higher if they just go out and run like jerks. You know, with missing hip extension and no ankle range and their calves are stiff. Right? I mean, like, come on. Right. But you know, the idea here is that we have decoupled skill from training, skill from exercise, you know, and, and the, the highest expression of that is like, go to, um, you know, a soul cycle class and you are going to die. You're going to suffer through the eyes. I mean, you're going to melt, you know, go, go do, jump into some boot camp where you just do a million burpees. And, um, you know, you can work really hard and not be skilled, not jump and land in a good position, you know, collapse your ankle, overextend your back every single time. And the problem is we, you know, there's not this immediate, immediate kickback that you're in a bad position. It doesn't express itself for like months or maybe years, you know, or until you're under stress, you know, until you're under threat and then you'll default to your, just your, your lowest base, most practiced pattern. And that's, that's, what's really interesting here is that, you know, practice doesn't make perfect practice makes permanent. And we have somehow, you know, taken all of the practice out of the physicality of being human, you know, and if you work with a, you know, Japanese swordman or, you know, a, a Russian tennis instructor, man, you're going to do these same drills over and over and over until you just get it down, right? We say practice is, uh, 
you know, it's the currency of like, you know, of, of like adult education, like repetition is the mother of learning. And, and we can expand those definitions and say, Hey, look, why don't you be skilled? You know, and, and clearly there's a degree. You don't have to pick up your child the same way you're deadlifting 500 pounds, but the principles are the same. And the failure to see the unification in those movements and to apply the same sets of principles is nonsense. You wouldn't just walk up to 500 pounds and just like grip and rip it. And yet that's what we do when we pick up our kit. And then we're like, one day you, you, you sneeze and you're like, oh, my back, you know, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you just sneezed. You know, like this is, you know, we've gotten really far away from the robust sense of self and we don't have to be perfect. We just have to work towards perfect. Gotcha. All right. So uh, let's talk about desk bound. It's about sitting, how it's terrible for us, right? And I guess this is the, probably the, one of the biggest source of the problems that you see with your clients is that, and everyone, whether they're an athlete or a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad or whatever, is like sitting just jacks everything up. So why, I mean, tell us, walk us through the details. Why is sitting so terrible for us? Well, how about this? It's not that sitting is terrible for you. I mean, it has, it has its problems. I mean, you know, look at your, like, jump into a ballet class, jump into a Pilates class, jump into a yoga class, come lift some weights with me, and then look at the same spinal shapes across all of those, right? Now, let's just go into any office or any classroom, and let's look at the spinal shapes. And tell me that you're okay with that rounded, you know, sitting on your sacrum, shoulders forward, neck cranked back, and you're going to be there for 12 to 14 hours a day. No big deal, right? Totally week after week after week. And then all of a sudden, you know, you wake up one day and you're like, wow, I have, I have shoulder pain or neck pain, you know, or back pain, or I got slow or, you know, why is that guy kicking my butt? Or, I mean, just choose a stinking problem. The adult diaper industry is a $1.2 billion problem in the United States. We have an athlete at our gym who was a high level gymnast. And when she, and she's had a couple kids and when she double unders or jump ropes, with her pelvis spilled forward, an anterior pelvic tilt, like her, her pelvic bowl is like tipping forward. When she does that, she pees herself. You can just see pee come right out, right? And when she's in a good position, the same position we talk about when we're deadlifting, running, jumping, right? All the, the, the athletic shape, the base position, sitting, tadasana, all that stuff, right? All these movement traditions that have arrived at the same spinal shape, you know, nothing happens. She doesn't pee herself. And imagine if we had that feedback, like if, because the problem is we're, we're leveraging the fact that it's German engineering. It's this machine has evolved for what, two and a half million years. I mean, it is a pretty stinking robust machine. You can lose a lung. Don't worry. You can still climb Everest. How do we know? Because there's a guy with one lung who climbed Everest. No, I don't think we, we sort of confuse this robustness with the fact that, oh, anything I do, my body will tolerate. And that's, that's not the case. And so when we, when we pan back, because we don't have this immediate feedback loop. When we pan back and start to take a big picture, we can start to have some, this, this thing called induction, which is where we see lots of information, right? The heart of the scientific process is of induction. And what we're seeing is in the United States, there are now more obese Americans than non-obese Americans. That in the last 10 years, diabetes has gone up 400%. That the study that came out two years ago, or just like two weeks ago, excuse me, says that for the first time, or not for the first time, but we have not stopped the avalanche of childhood obesity in America. Like, you know, ACL rates in, in women still up six to eight times the rate of men. Kids tearing their ACLs at, 
at literally 400% increase over 10 years ago. Your children run a mile a minute and 20 seconds slower than you do. I mean, choose something that matters to you, right? I want to burn more calories. You know, a big piece of research that came out that said that at a call center, people who stood were 45% more productive. That means they closed 45% more business. I mean, it turns out then when we kind of go back in that we ask the fundamental question that one thing we started with, what does it mean to be a human being? And what is, you know, what does that mean? And what it means is that I'm not ever supposed to be sedentary. That's not how the human physiology was evolved. And so you're like, well, I'm not sedentary. I, I exercise. I'm like, well, do you sit more than six hours a day? Because by definition, that is a sedentary, you're a sedentary person. And so that we have is this, this tug of war between being sedentary and non-sedentary, right? Or, or sedentary, it's like smoking and jogging. You know, I, yeah, I'm a lead athlete here. Pass me the little chocolate donuts. And what you're seeing is that, you know, it, we negate a lot of the good effects. And, and it's, it's about first principles. You know, if you can eat like a ninja, you can train hard, but if you don't sleep, I guarantee you you're going to fall apart. And, you know, and it turns out that putting more movement in and avoiding positions that just challenge your soft tissues without any activation, right? We want to use your musculature. About 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, we, we, um, we gave all the guys who worked in um, warehouses, we gave them belts. Remember that phenomenon? Right, yeah. You still see them on home de- like at Home Depot. Yeah, but they don't wear them, right? They just wear them. They turn them on and turn them off, right? right? Oh, lifting something heavy. But for a while, they just put them on like it was no one's, no one's business. Because everyone's like, this is great. It's like having an extra spine. Well, we know that anything that gets habitually braced over the long haul becomes what we call, and this is a technical term in jargon, weak. You become weak sauce. And so what happened was the injury rates of spines in warehouse workers went through the roof. Why? They didn't ever use their spines. They used the belt as, as a set of spines, as, as a set of musculature and soft tissues. Well, the same thing happens when you sit down in a chair. You literally, your trunk turns off and what you end up using is the chair or you use the end range of your soft tissues. It's like you know, standing there hyperextending your knee. You can do it, but over the long haul, that's going to cause you some grief. And that's really ultimately the problem with sitting is that we're not moving and that those sitting positions cause us problems when we go stand up. And, and if you are just going to go from the chair to the elliptical machine to the, you know, to the exercise bike, you might not ever notice that your hips don't actually work like hips anymore. You know, and that may be okay with you. you know, if you're never going to squat down on the ground, you know, then that may be okay with you. But it turns out that again, when we look at you know, the greater picture, you know, there was a good piece of research that came out that correlated your ability to get up and down off the ground. Remember that? You saw it on Dr. Oz. Can right. Yeah. Into a, right? Yeah. Well, that correlates to, to more t- early mortality. Well, it turns out if you don't have the hip range of motion or the strength to get up and down off the ground, you're more likely to fall. And, and if, if I have you squat down right now, put your feet together, squat all the way to the ground, your heels should stay on the ground and that should be an effortless position. Like I'm up on my stool and I'm doing it now as I talk to you. And I can sit in this position because this would be the position I would take a poon in the woods or I'd make a campfire, right? These are the fundamental end ranges of the hip and the ankle. But because we don't necessarily expose ourselves to some of these end range positions regularly, we don't know that they go away or become stiff until it's too late. And, and all of a sudden now we can just see that, hey, there's this gigantic adaptation error going on in our day-to-day lives, and that's called sitting too much. 
And, you know, the, the leading researcher in obesity is James Levine from the Mayo Clinic, who he's the guy who coined sitting is the new smoking. And he says, you really should limit your sitting to two hours a day. That's how, that's how toxic it is. That's crazy. So yeah, there's a lot going on there with sitting. So your metabolism slows down dramatically, basically shuts off. It basically shuts off. Your body's like, I'm, we're, not, we're not burning fats. It's all good. Right. And then you're putting yourself in these positions because you're probably sitting incorrectly so that you're relying more on soft tissue. Like yeah, you're just hang, we call, my, one of my friends uh, calls it hanging on the meat. You know, he's a, he's a Navy SEAL. He's like, you mean I'm just hanging on the meat? I was like, exactly. You're hanging on the meat. Don't hang on your meat. And so this causes, this is, this is going to cause tightness in your hips, your glutes, your, and then it, what's amazing that like, it not only affects like your lower half, but like it goes upstream as well. It affects tightness in the shoulders, your chest, and that causes a problem. If you're working out, you know, you want to do uh, a shoulder press, you might not be able to do it because you're so stinking tight. Might not. I guarantee you won't because your, your T-spine is too tight and, and it, it affects all these things. Your, your ability to breathe. You know, when you sit down and, and fold forward, you're going to breathe up in your neck. You're not going to breathe in diaphragm. And your, your whole rib cage, pelvis, you know, trunk system really becomes, um, you know, it, it, you compromise your pelvic floor and you compromise your diaphragm function. So we've just taken that beautiful ventilation machine, right? And we just bent the tube work, the framework that holds the ventilation mechanism. And guess what you end up with? really crappy vo2 max so if you're if your sport is running or biking man good luck we just we just smoked you wedding season is coming up and if you are preparing for the big day i know wedding planning can be really intimidating but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home don't just wear any suit on your big day wear a custom made to measure suit Suit started at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. 
By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Right. And that, that shallow breathing too, like you said in the book, it, it, it induces the fight or flight or response. Like you're not, totally. it stresses you out. And you know, all you have to do is go to that TED talk where that guy talks about, you know, posture and like testosterone, you know? And then like, you know, I mean, your brain is wired for these positions and movements. It knows that these slouch rounded behaviors are like, yeah, I'm cowering. And, uh, you know, it's like that thing when you smile, when you're feeling pissed off, eventually you're like, you know what? I'm pissed off, but I kind of feel happy and pissed off. And it's because your brain recognizes the smile as associated with these shapes and positions. And, and the fact that we can't draw these connections for people, you know, where we're not doing a good enough job. You know, we're going to become that that guy in Wally. We just float around. You know, we just are really removing our our humanity. And you know, what we've seen is sort of the ongoing creep. Because you know, I know what you're saying. You know, I was born in the '70s. Like I sat, didn't you know, it was fine. But you also walked to school both ways in the snow uphill. You know, you didn't watch that much TV because there's only three channels. You either watch Gilligan's Island, right, or you watched, uh, you know mash with your parents and there was just nothing a flipper there wasn't much on and there wasn't a screen and you know the screen is this sort of insidious load on us so what we're seeing is that the kaiser family foundation did a study that said that looked at kids from across all socioeconomic cohorts and kids from age 8 to 18 were spending an average of seven and a half hours a day in front of a screen and so what we can say definitively is hey technology is not going away so what are we going to do instead well, instead of making our bodies conform to the environment, let's go ahead and make the environment fit the bodies. I mean, that's why we have a stinking opposable thumb in the first place. That cortex allowed us to shape our environments, you know, and we can just expand that definition a little further and say, hey, look, let's adopt positions and shapes that our, our, our body should be in. You know, our kids are at the first all standing school in the world. And let me tell you how many problems we have with that. Zero. 
No one complains. No one kvetches. Right? The research shows that you can actually reverse childhood obesity by standing. How about that? Right? I mean, just choose again. Choose something that that matters to you. Uh, our, our our project, StandUpKids.org. To date, we have over twenty seven thousand kids in the U.S. standing now. Most of those kids are in 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 um, you know poverty school areas, right? And what we're, you know, our, our nonprofit was just curated by the Obama administration and kind of chosen as the, you know, just move. That's Michelle Obama's childhood obesity, you know, platform. What we see is that this is a really simple intervention. And, and anyone who's standing in the way of this, you know, is a part of the problem. Like they are part of the chair industrial complex. And you should see the kickback I get on from some physical therapists, for example. They're like, there's no proof. And I'm like, it's because you are an ass. And are part of the problem, and no, and I'm just going to hand off the diabetes bills to you guys. This is such a solvable problem that yeah, it's, it's been staring us in the face, and it's just so easy. You don't need a doctor's note to stand up and be human again. You need a, an Amazon box to put your computer on. Right, and that's it. So your your solution is just instead of sitting all the time, at, if even if you're in an office or at home, you just stand up, move more, right? And so you can utilize certain tools like a standing desk, for example. Yeah, you know, and our kids can sit down on the ground anytime they want at school, you know, they, and which is a fine place. It turns out that cultures that toilet on the ground, sleep on the ground, they don't fall. Their fall risk on their elderly drops to zero. Right. You, you know talk about I'm? in the book, the, in Japan, like in the nursing homes, the old people sleep on the floor and they can like get up and go to the bathroom by themselves, take care of themselves because they have to get up off the floor. And their hip disease and lumbar disease also drops to like zero. Right. Isn't that weird? Yeah. You know, it's, it's use it or lose it. It's, it's Look, uh, one, some of our fancy physician friends say this. They're like, look, you're designed to be 110 years old. I mean, you're going to outlive your gonads. That's the real problem. You know, you know, you just, we outlive our gonads. But we can fix that now. And, uh, but, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, we have to ask this thing, you know, you know, when we, the first, the first idea is, you know, are we moving enough? Good. Now we're moving. Great. Now let's have the next conversation. Let's move well, you know? And that means that we don't have to be we don't have to be perfect, but this is a practice that we can work towards for the rest of our life. It turns out that you never become too skilled. It turns out that you know, you know, you can continue to practice and develop a practice around your movement efficiency the rest of your life. And this is this is the heart and soul of the matter. So, I mean, let's talk about transitioning from sitting to standing. Because I, mean, I imagine it's not something you want to like. Is it something you can do just like the next day? Oh, uh, totally. Yeah, you, you don't have you don't you don't you don't have to like work your way into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You should just get a pack of cigarettes and smoke the whole one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna. Yeah. Great. Hey, hey we're running ahead. a marathon. Great. This afternoon, fine. It'll be fine. Right. Um. No. You. You need to. You know. Look. What does it say about you that you have a hard time being upright all day? What does that say about you? You're weak. And you maybe have some handbrakes on the system. Yeah. Why? Because you were part of someone's system. You came from somewhere. This isn't an, a value statement about your abilities. This is, hey, you, you were forced to sit as a kid too. And, you know, I, I just did an interview with a, with a newspaper and the guy's like, hey, my, one of the guys in my office blew out his back standing. And I was like, wow, that guy, was he like Mr. Glass in that like movie, you know, with, with <laughs> Bruce Willis? I mean, like he sneezes and he fractures. I mean, something is really wrong if you are standing and moving and it hurts you, you know, and you have to go lay down. And, but with that being said, we, we find that we should probably put ourselves on a shaping gradient. Stand for just an hour at your desk this week. If that felt good, up to two hours. Hang out there for a couple weeks. You know, and what you'll find is that pretty soon it's automatic to stand. And here's another idea. Right? It's okay to sit down and take a break. 
That's totally okay. No one's going to judge you. The other thing is, you know, if you've ever been to a bar, there are these places called pubs where you can get alcohol served to you. It's amazing. And um, you'll notice that there's a rail at the bottom of the bar. Well, the bartenders figured out that you made things the right height so people could lean and keep their torso upright. You gave them a place to put their foot so they could swing or, you know, they could they prop their foot up to Captain Morgan pose. And all of a sudden, you could, you could take all the, the loads out of your spine and you could stand all day long. Uh, nice. So yeah, it's not you're not just standing there. You're 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 actually encouraging dynamic movement. Like so, you, while you're standing, do some other stuff as well. Well, I since I'm standing during this talk, and I, I am too. Changed, I have changed my position thirty times. Right, it's called fidgeting, and uh, you know, fidgeting is your brain actually being connected to your body and recognizing your body's like, hey, you need to change your shape, and so you just change your shape, and it, it's an automatic process. But when you sit down. You go from kind of compromise shape to slouch to other slouch. You know, you don't breathe well. You know, you're just not ventilating. I mean, it's just, it's a disaster. But as soon as you create this standing environment, we get what we call a movement-rich environment. And that gives us movement options. And, you know, I love having a stool. Not that I sit on the stool, but sometimes I lean against a stool. But I use the stool as a, as a platform. I mean, we have some stools like Amazon for like eight bucks. And I put my foot on it. Like, you know, in a high lunge, you know, I'll, I'll lay across it in like pigeon pose. You know what I mean? I just, I just, I try to keep noodling around. And one of the things that we find is that the stiffer you are and the more poorly you move, the more time you have to restore your positions and tissues. And the more efficient you are and the more you move, the less actual, you know, mobilization work that you actually have to do. And that's, that's nice. You know, what it means is that I'm always kind of working on my positions and shapes you know, I got a ball at the desk and I can roll out my feet. And, you know, it means that when I answer emails, I, I collect 10 minutes in the bottom position of my squat, you know, like the end of your martial arts, you know, where the, the coaches, you know, the instructor sensei is talking to you and you're kneeling. You know, that's an important position for your knees and your ankles, you know, and that can be a position where you're just, you know, watching TV or, or, or answering your emails or talking on the phone. And so we can, we can backload so much of the movement and so much of the, improve, the improvement of the movement into our day-to-day lives so that when we get home or we're off work or we're done training, you know, we have actual time to like free associate and hang out and read. And I don't have to be layering in an hour of undoing the mess that I got in during the day. Right. So put it throughout the day. And I mean, what do you, what's the response for people who think, oh man, if I'm standing while I'm working, I can't focus or concentrate. Uh, is there anything to that? Or can you actually concentrate better when you're standing? Well, it turns out that if you look at all the, the functional MRIs of people sitting, their brains actually turn off. And kid, the research is showing that kids who take the, like the SATs score an average of about 200 points you know, higher. So I think that's bull. I'm calling bullshit on that. And um, when you ask all the kids at school, right? And I know it's not hard science, but there is hard science around it out of Texas A&M done by uh, Mark Benden, who says that kids, you know, the engagement in classrooms is up like 12%, 14% over the course of a day, which aggregates into a lot of time. And when we ask all our kids, you know, cause they've been, a lot of our kids have been staying now for two years. They're like, Oh, I would never go back. I can't, you know, they work standing up, they do homework standing up, they test standing up. It's, it's remarkable. That's you know, awesome. I, I think, I think, you know, what, what's confusing is if you ever tried a, a, a treadmill desk, yeah, I've got I'm, one. I, I, I am personally not a fan because it doesn't scale. Yeah. But also sometimes you have to walk so slowly it's hard to focus for a while. But, I'll, but you know, I'm like caveat emptor. I mean like 
I want you to move. And if that's, if that makes you feel like you can move better, I'm down with it. You know, we have a, our favorite thing is this thing called the fidget bar. And all of our kids' desks have a bar that swings underneath there. It's like a Skinner bar. I mean, they get up top and then their foot swings back and forth on a little pendulum. And uh, we actually made one on Rogue Fitness. Um, so if you, anyway, uh, I'm not trying to sell it, but the idea is you can just be swinging away and get all that small motion in and it's automatically programmed, you know, because it's already, it's the bottom of your desk, you put your foot up and you swing. And that's the same thing we were getting on an anti-fatigue mat or doing a little walking. It's just, you know, initially because it's a new pattern, it may take you a while, but just, you know, one of my, one of my coaches, Carl Pally says, Hey, just because it's harder, doesn't mean it's not, you know, better. And, you know, what, what we're pointing out is it's okay that it took you a while. It shouldn't necessarily be automatic, but, uh, you know, it is better for you in the long haul. Right. You know, what's interesting is that, you know, it's people think like this is like something new, but there's like people long time ago kind of discovered this stuff intuitively. This is kind of something people don't know about Teddy Roosevelt. I'm a big fan of Teddy Roosevelt. If you've read the site, you, you know that. But the guy, ever since he was a little kid, whenever he would read, uh, he would read oftentimes standing, but he would like put his leg up, his foot up by his knee. So he looked like a crane. So he's yeah. like standing on one foot and he would just like sit there and then he would switch and like go to the other leg. And that was kind of his way of being able to stand for long periods of time. Yeah. That's like stork pose or something. Right, It was something a stork game. pose. Like, he looked like a stork. I mean, that's what, yeah. that's and, how he described and, it. And that's what you're doing is when you're, when you take the, the second leg out, you're basically getting out, out of extension and uh, you're taking the extension load out of your back. And that's why, you know, when you see people standing around, you know, it, our athletic stance, you know, we say make your combat stance, your everyday stance, but like you should stand on both feet with your feet underneath your lungs. And what you'll see is that people's feet are pointed in different directions. They've cocked one hip out. They're overextended. They're standing in like weird middle splits. They're standing in the, oh, no, you didn't position. <laughs> and um, what you're seeing is that they are trying to solve a mechanical problem and dumping into these wretched shapes. And that, that single post, you know, if, if Teddy Roosevelt had had a place to put his foot, oh, he did. He had a place to put his foot. It was his other leg. He did the same thing as the Captain Morgan pose. Right. And, and you're right. You know, um, a lot of, you know, well-known people worked and functioned upright, you know, from, from Eames to uh, – Hemingway. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of people just – turns out, you know, uh, Winston Churchill focused, mm -hmm. you know, better. You know, I mean, talk, I mean, if you're really looking for allegory, I mean, take a bullet to the chest, go back out and make another speech – you know, maybe, maybe standing is, you know, go conquer a river in Amazon. Right. And then, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that is, you should be like, what is that guy doing? Oh, he's standing. All right. So if you, when you do sit, um, what, how should we sit? And yeah. I got a question here. There's a question too about ergonomic chairs. That's like really big in office world. Um, I got it at one of those Aeron chairs, but like lately it's been, I don't know, just like it hurts my back whenever yeah. I, I sit yeah. in it. So, I mean, so, what's the best, like, what's the best chair we should get? How should we sit if we, when we do sit down? Sure. Well, the, here's the, here's the deal. Divide all your, all your potential sitting into optional and non-optional sitting. So here's an example. Um, Chevron, you know, recognized, and this is consistent with the research and we say it in the book, but the, the highest number, the, the, the cohort of people who have the highest number of musculoskeletal injuries are the office workers. Office workers have more musculoskeletal injuries than any other group of people workers. Like, I mean, you can be like jug a dynamite juggler. You're safer than an office worker. And the guys at Chevron figured out, the men and women at Chevron figured out that they would start locking out the computers every 55 minutes. 
And then it forced everyone to get up and walk around. So they, they felt like that was a simple compromise. But during their actual meetings, because remember, they've invested in all this infrastructure, right? Their conference rooms. They're not just going to take that out. So during the conference meeting, a little gong goes off every 20 minutes. And people keep talking. And they stand up during the gong because the gong goes, gong. They, they keep talking. And they all kind of stretch. And they move around a little. And then they sit back down. And so immediately what you've done is, one, is that you've built in this notion that, hey, if I'm going to sit and I have to sit, then every 20 minutes or so, get up and move around for two minutes. So 20 minutes, move two minutes. Just walk around. Squeeze your butt. Put your arms over your head. Breathe a little bit. That has to be nonspecific. Just we need you to move. That'll help. Second is you know, if, if you can make the choice to stand, stand. And, and when we say stand, what we're really saying is move. right? So if you, if you have a choice of moving instead of just sitting – like on the bus or walking or, you know, I mean, there's just so many options where you can, you know, you can be in the back. Like last night when my, my oldest daughter plays the cello and I'm in a, in a you know, middle school, um, you know, elementary school, you know, orchestra concert. And it's an hour and a half. And I just didn't sit in one of those little chairs because you know what those little chairs are designed for? They're designed to be stacked by the janitorial staff. It has zero zero input into my ergonomics or my size. And so I can either compress myself or I just stood in the back and then I sat down cross-legged and then I stood some more. And I can make little choices like that because it feels better to my body. You know, the other thing is that, as you pointed out, you know, that Aeron chair, you know, that material was designed to help people with, for, with bed sores. You know, so it was designed for people with wheelchairs so we could get more circulation so the tissues didn't break down. That should tell you a lot about the, the, the robustness of the chair. The chair you're designing you know, was, you know, the material was so that but people in wheelchairs wouldn't die of, of, of compression ulcers and tissue ulcers. Like that's how serious sitting is, right? If you're, if you're in a wheelchair, it's a real problem. And one of the issues is that, you know, hey, we put in all of this support in the back. It's ergonomic. Well, remember, when you see support, you should think to yourself, I'm becoming weaker. The structure is doing it for me. And so one of the things that happens is that people sit back and, put, and once again, you just turn your trunk musculature off. You don't support the, even the systems that make it more fit, efficient for you to breathe. And then in order to actually work, you can't lean back. You have to lean forward away from the back. So now you're slouched, right? You're sitting on your femurs. These are the non, you know, the backs of your hamstrings are non-weight bearing surfaces. You may have noticed. Otherwise, they would look like the, the butts of like gibbons. It would be, it'd be like the balls of your feet and the palms of your hands. You, know, you're, you're, you do have weight-bearing surfaces in your hips. Those are your ischial tuberosities or what people call your sit bones. And so if you're going to sit, sit at the edge of the chair, right? Sit, find, find those sit bones, find those ischial tuberosities, your pelvis. That's not your femurs. Your femurs will be dangling off. And then sit up, make your trunk work. And, and what you'll find is automatically you're going to be feeling better and, and fidgeting more. And that's going to be an automatic better shape. All right. So ditch the air on chair, get a stool. Well, and, and, and a, yeah, a stool would be great. And you may need a little pad. Like I'm not expecting you to be some kind of, you know, monk from the, you know, the turn of the century. This the is the art of manliness here. Of course I'm going to do that. I'm a masochist. Um, right. right. I, I think, or you could, um, you know, I mean, all our stools, I'm not going to say that we're, we're manly or will manly around here, but uh, we don't have pads on our stools. But remember that if you're forced to sit for long periods of time, you know, it's okay to put a pad in there, right? Because that allows us to actually move a little bit more efficiently and, and see less compression. So like my fighter pilots, there'll be a little pad in the chair, the fighter pilots, right? When I, I flew with the Blue Angels because I worked with those pilots and there's a little, there's a little thin pad, just a little piece of foam that really takes the edge off that seat at 7Gs. 
Gotcha. Well, hey, Kelly, this has been a great conversation. We haven't even gotten into the, the the maintenance, but we can send people to your site where they can find out about information about that because you got a lot of great videos and uh, content out there. So- yeah, and and the basket desk bound, we really tried to strip it down. Say, hey, here are the basics. This is what we think every human being, every mom and dad should know. And we gave you some basic routines. You know, f- take a crack at fixing yourself before you. Ca- I mean. Can you check your oil in your car or do you have to call the doctor to check the oil in your car? That's what we're talking about. Gotcha. Well, hey, Kelly, where can people learn more about the book and your work? Um, You can get Deskbound on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, We're really proud of this. Um, We're having great conversations with like governments (laughs) about the implications and the social change. And then, you know, we're at at Mobility WOD, um, which is WOD Workout of the Day. And then the real issue is uh, where we should direct people to standupkids.org because, you know, you have, you know, a child, you have, you, you know, you know, someone who has a child and all we're doing is the model we've partnered with donors choose and our models are flipping one classroom at a time. And in 10 years, we'll get everyone. That's awesome. Well, Kelly Starrett, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Brett, thank you. My guest today was Kelly Starrett. He is the author of Deskbound. You can find that on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. And also make sure to check out Kelly's website at mobilitywad.com. And for show notes for this podcast, go to aom.is slash standup. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this show and have gotten something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever else you use to listen to your podcast, as that helps spread the word about the show. As always, I appreciate your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.